Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Good morning. Welcome to Hardline here on News Radio 930 WBEN. Joe Beamer and Brenda Alacy with you until noon today. So, hey, we got a good show for you. Stick around. It is 10.09, not 9.09. And I feel like it's 6.09. Uh, but uh, I have to be honest with the audience today, Brenda. I am running on less than three hours of sleep. But you know what? With uh, the help of caffeine, I think we'll get through the show. Yeah, I've got a full pot brewing too, Joe. I'm with you. Uh, the the sleep uh, change or the you know the spring forward affected me for sure. Um, but in any case, we are here and we are raring to go. I have a little trivia question for you off the top, Joe. Are you ready? Uh, I'm ready. What two states do not uh, change their clocks? Arizona and Nevada. Nope. We'll oh. put it out there if anybody wants to put it on the text board. The Orchard Park, uh, or the Volkswagen of Orchard Park text board, 716-803-0930. See who knows this. I thought it was pretty interesting uh, when I was reading a little about uh, springing forward yesterday. But in any case, Joe, we certainly have a power pack show as usual. We sure do. And let's get started with uh, Dr. Tom Russo from the UB Jacobs School of Medicine. Dr. Russo, thank you for joining us on a Sunday morning. My pleasure. Now, I want to start with, with the obvious first question. You know, as as we get the vaccines out there, two million uh, doses a day right now is the average, and we see states uh, loosening the restrictions. Uh, now, I know this is a pretty broad question, but are there restrictions that you agree with and some that you think have gone too far, and which ones are those that have gone too far? Well, the restrictions that I'm most concerned about are those that, uh, you know, enable people to go indoors without masks. Uh, And that's where we know this coronavirus really spreads best. And so I think we could all imagine some of those settings. uh, Restaurants remain a concern for me. There's an increasing body of data that shows that uh, indoor dining increases your risk if uh, you haven't been vaccinated, uh, you know, so... That's really the one that concerns me the most uh, for the average individuals. Of course, there's a variety of other venues. I think we're seeing all these uh, basketball teams that are running into trouble as well, running up and down a basketball court, huffing and puffing in close quarters isn't great. But I think, Joe, and you and I are going to not be at risk for that particular way to get this new coronavirus. <laughs> so, uh, but avoid indoors when people aren't wearing masks, particularly in poorly ventilated spaces. 
And I think that's the riskiest venue right now. And, uh, you know, that occurs in a variety of manners. But, of course, indoor dining jumps to mind. All right. So, uh, Dr. Russo, looking at the vaccines and, um, you know, more and more people, I believe 25 percent of this state has had at least one dose. What's the number we have to get to to where it would be safer to lift some of those mask mandates? Uh, And, you know, I always bring this one up when I can finally go back to the gym and work without a mask. What's that number we're looking for uh, here in New York State? So I I think this is going to happen in two phases. We have to remember that a solid third to 40% of the country has already been infected and has at least a transient degree of protection. We're not quite sure how long that's going to last. It's not going to be as good as the protection afforded by vaccination, but it's certainly a degree of protection. And so then if if you then add that together with the increasing number of people that are being vaccinated, I suspect sometime around May or so, uh, maybe early June, we're going to sort of hit the first phase where a critical number of people have protection, either from natural infection or vaccination, and cases are going to be very low. So that's sort of going to be phase one. It's going to be like the summer here when cases were very low. And, uh, and so I think we're going to be in good shape at that point. However, if then we don't get with phase two, all those individuals that have been previously infected, and individuals that say, hey, these cases are low, uh, I don't need to get vaccinated, it's all good, coronavirus has gone away. If we don't hit that number of 75 to 80% with vaccination, then I think we're going to ask for trouble in the fall and the winter, and, and this virus might make a comeback. So um, I think we're going to be looking good in May and June, but we need to keep vaccinating, keep vaccinating to hit that 75 to 80% number. Um, Dr. Russo, can you explain a little bit about how these variants work? You know, where there's different ones that you hear about. Is it it's in science? I mean, you're the head of infectious disease at uh, the UB School of Medicine, so you must have worked with variants for your whole career. Is it normal that thing that cells mutate into a variant? Yes, it, yes, it is, Brenda. So these viruses mutate all the time, and the more they replicate the more they're going to mutate. And the unbelievable number of cases we've had across the world during this pandemic has enabled this virus to mutate a lot, much more than if it were circulating at very low levels. And the variants that have been described to date have mostly been selected to be more infectious because really, until recently, there hasn't been much pressure uh, in uh, eluding our vaccines. And so the good news, though, with these variants, and there's been three of them that have been in the news, uh, the one first described in the U.K., and then those that are first described in South Africa and Brazil, our vaccines really look like they're going to hold up against them. Uh, The U.K. variant, which is the dominant variant in the United States right now, uh, both prior uh, immunity from getting infected and our vaccines look like they're going to protect against that very, very well. Our vaccines might not protect against mild disease from the South African uh, or Brazilian variants, and there are minor variants right now in the United States, but they're going to keep people out of hospitals. They're going to keep people from getting severely ill. So uh, the secret is right now is to get vaccinated to protect themselves from these variants, and uh, it's, uh, it's really the key here. And uh, so far we're looking good. 
And I think the key thing for people to remember, so they don't panic about this, at least at this point, there really hasn't been any variants that have been described that are going to elude protection from our vaccine where you result in hospital or getting having a bad outcome. And that's really the, the key thing that we're looking at here is variants that could really circumvent and get around our vaccine. And, and hopefully this new coronavirus won't be able to do that. So we're keeping a close eye on it and we'll see. But so far, so good. You know, it's so unsettling, though, to hear about people getting back to some degree of normalcy and then, boom, a shutdown again. Um, I have some relatives in Italy, and I was uh, DMing them through Facebook yesterday, and they were telling me that there's a lot of lockdowns and that uh, schools are only online again. So is that what you were referring to that could happen in the U.S. Uh, come, you know, the fall if things aren't, if we haven't reached herd immunity and people still aren't careful about masking and social distancing? Yes, but right now we're still at risk for that over the really the next six to eight weeks, right? Because maybe about half, a little less than half of the U.S. population has no protection against this virus. And so even though the virus is running out of people to infect, so that's slowing down the number of cases. And we've been, you know, pretty good about vaccinating the most vulnerable. So our hospitalizations are decreasing even a greater rate. There's still a lot of people out there that are susceptible for getting infected. And so that if you let your guard down at this point and say, hey, this is over, we're done, let's go out and it's all good, uh, they're going to get infected. And so uh, we, we still really have to be rigorous about our public health measures for another six to eight weeks until we really could get the number of cases down and get more vaccinations in the individual. And then we have to see it all the way through, as I talked about, making sure we hit that 75 to 80 percent mark, which will probably, if things go well, take us to the beginning of fall and the start of the next school year. Uh, so there's still work to be done, Brenda. We're still not there in terms of reading, reaching that first phase of sort of herd immunity, which combined with natural infection and vaccination. And that's why we're seeing uh, a bump in cases. In fact, downstate New York right now isn't looking so hot. They've got a lot of cases down there. Dr. Russo, I know I ask this question a lot, but the more we learn about the virus, the more we learn about the vaccines, I like to come back to it. Um, so say we hit that 85% herd immunity and, you know, we, we start opening things back up. Does that mean this COVID-19 is gone or is this something that's always going to be around? Something that we, a, a year from now, are going to have to get those vaccines, going to have to get those booster shots to make sure it doesn't spread like this again? So, Joe, if we hit with vaccination that sort of 80, as you stated, 85% mark, I think that we're going to be in good shape in preventing, uh, you know, people getting infected with the coronavirus, getting serious disease, ending up in hospital, having bad outcomes. But I think it's almost certain that this virus is going to stick around. Now, the question that you brought up is a really good one. Are we going to need, like, the flu uh, shot, annual boosters, and uh, the answer is we don't know yet. And we don't know on terms of two, two counts. First, we don't know how long the vaccinations that we're receiving right now is going to last. You know, I think they're going to probably be good for at least a year. You know, CDC put some recs out that, you know, you don't have to quarantine if you're vaccinated for 90 days. That's because they know that these vaccines are good for uh, at least 90 days. But they're almost certainly going to be good. Uh, I suspect, for at least a year. And we're going to have to keep an eye on it and see. Are we going to get two years, three years? We don't know. So that's sort of the first variable about if we're going to need a booster and when. 
The second variable is we sort of touched upon uh, with Brenda's question is, will a variant evolve, and it hasn't yet, that could elude the vaccine, so we need to tweak the vaccine and, and then give you, uh, you know, a booster that takes care of business with that uh, new variant. And again, we don't know the answer to that. We hope such a variant won't evolve. For example, it hasn't evolved with the mumps and measles. When you get vaccinated for that, uh, we're in good shape. So we're just going to have to see at this point. Um, but I'm convinced the virus is going to be around. The question is, how often uh, uh, are we going to need booster shots uh, to prevent serious disease? And, and that's a work in progress. Now, you kind of answered my question here, but with, va- with the vaccine, is this something, say, after the first round is given to most Americans, that these companies are going to go back and, and tweak even with the current variants that are out so maybe it lasts longer? Or if that variant doesn't show itself, is the, are these vaccines just fine to keep rolling for the foreseeable future? Yeah, so the companies are already doing that. They've actually... The beauty of these new new vaccines that we have, the RNA vaccines and the DNA vaccines, is really they're just code that is being delivered to our body. So our own body um, makes the viral spike protein and we develop antibodies against that. So to tweak it, all you have to do is uh, tweak the code a little bit. And so that could be done very, very quickly. So they're already testing it against the new variants to see if, uh, you know, version 2.0 is new and improved just in case. We go ahead uh, and need that, uh, and so we'll be in good shape. The limiting factor, I think, if we need a booster shot to deal with the variant, uh, and as I said, we don't know if we will or not, um, isn't going to be the development of the vaccine. We've overcome that big lift already. We have developed this new technology. It's been extraordinarily successful. It's going to be, as we're experiencing right now, getting those sharks into the arms of individuals. And uh, but I think we'll, if we have to do that, we're extraordinarily well positioned to do so. And uh, we'll be in better shape because everyone will have some level of immunity. We'll suspect the timing of the virus will probably be a winter virus like influenza and others. And so we could probably get business done in the early fall like we do for flu. Dr. Tam Russo is with us. 803-0930. Juanita from Tanawanda is calling in with a question. Good morning, Juanita. Uh, good morning, yes, uh, Dr. Russo and uh, Brenda and Joe. My question is this, if you're able to give me a clue. Um, if you have uh, a young people in your family who have, um, are, are planning on getting married in the future, what, are, what, what will happen if they take the vaccine? Will it affect the mother specifically with um, pregnancy and um if you want to use the term, not uh, a complete normal child being delivered and, and so on, and will it affect the man's um, purpose of producing children? Well, thank you very much for that question. And that's, this is uh, uh, a, a question that continues out there and uh, is really important to clarify. So this vaccine does not in any manner affect male fertility, female fertility, or have any adverse outcomes on pregnancy. In fact, getting infected with the new coronavirus potentially could do all of those things, uh, whereas the vaccine cannot. So if uh, you're, we obviously want to vaccinate everyone, but in particular, uh, you know, the best strategy for women that are thinking of getting pregnant and having families is to get vaccinated as soon as possible, because we actually know that 
uh, pregnant women are actually at increased risk for uh, more serious disease and bad outcomes, um, similar to what we see with influenza as well. So the vaccine has zero effects on these things. And if this is something that's being propagated on social media by anti-vaxxers and perhaps even by other countries that are trying to sow discord and misinformation in our country. Um, so uh, it's really a completely false rumor. Well, that's good to know, Dr. Russo, because I sure hear that a lot as well. And you see a lot of things on uh, social media. You don't know what to believe. Um, so I'm glad you clarified that. Question for you, Doctor. It's been a year now since we mark uh, life being completely turned upside down by the pandemic. What would you say you've learned? That, what are the key takeaways that you've, uh, you've come away from now that we're a year into the pandemic? Well, <laughs> there's a lot to that question, uh, Brenda, but... Um, uh, I guess there's certainly uh, a number of key takeaways. And probably if I was going to pick one for the sake of time, um, even though we knew a pandemic was coming, and maybe we didn't see it coming from this new coronavirus, we thought perhaps influenza was the most likely pandemic uh, or the next pandemic we'd have to deal with. Um, despite the fact that, you know, we think in the United States, you know, we're a high-income country, have lots of resources, our public health care system had been significantly eroded and was not well positioned to deal with this when the pandemic began. Uh, and I think that uh, this pandemic will end, and I think it's going to end in the very near future. Thank God. We're all going to be thrilled with that. But it's also almost certainly not going to be the last pandemic. And we really need to be better prepared for the next one. And it's really easy when you're in between pandemics to forget about public health, and, you know, put less dollars into that particular resource. Um, but I, I hope we've learned our lesson that we can't let our guard down with public health in between pandemics. And, of course, there's a lot of other goods that come of public health measures as well. And, and we just need to uh, continue to maintain that critical infrastructure so we could react much, much more quickly than we did with this pandemic. Uh, and unquestionably, we would really have saved uh, many more lives if we'd been better prepared. Dr. Tom Russo, always great talking to you. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. My pleasure. Good to chat with you guys. Dr. Tom Russo from the Jacobs School of Medicine at UB. Uh, always full of answers, Brenda, and I always have a ton of questions left. Just a pleasure having Dr. Russo on. He makes it understandable for lay, lay people like me, Joe, like you, and um, he's always so good-humored about everything, and I hope someday I can meet the man in person and shake his hand. Yeah, <laughs> and I, maybe we won't even have our masks on at that point. I have to say, uh, if you look at if you look at the uh, doctors that we've heard for the last year, Doctor Tom Russo, everything he has said so far, I would say ninety nine percent of it has uh, has happened. You know, D David Bellavie always talks about uh, comparing Russo to Fauci, and Russo, uh, Doctor Tom Russo, has a, a better track record, if you ask me. And, and he's so willing to come on at all times, and he's just been a, a tremendous resource for people in this community. And not only is he the head of infectious disease at the UB School of Medicine, he practices out of the VA. So I think he is seeing you know veterans and, and folks who have been through a lot and helping them through this pandemic on top of everything else. So really appreciate all of the help that our medical professionals locally give us. When we come back, we have two guests for you. There's the tease. We're back after this. And welcome. Call from mom. Answer it. 
Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Welcome back to Hardline on this sunny Sunday morning. Brenda Olasey with you along with Joe Beamer. And by the way, I want to give the uh, answer to which states do not observe daylight savings time. We had a couple of people texting the correct answer. And I also got a text from my friend Sandra who had it correct. The two states are Hawaii and Arizona. All right, on to uh, Angelo Morinello, who was kind enough to join us today. Angelo, good morning. Thank you for your time. Good morning. Hope all are well. Yes, indeed, sir. And you as well. Now, you're Assembly member uh, of Assembly District 145, which means you represent parts of Niagara and Erie counties. And uh, obviously, I guess that, you know, the elephant in the room, Assemblyman, is what's happening with Governor Cuomo. Have you called for his resignation or impeachment? I have not, because there is going to be an impeachment investigation. And I will, as a retired judge and as an attorney, I will await for that. But there are other issues that we need to really focus on. When you talk about impeachment or resignation, that is a word. But when you analyze the allegations of the women who have come forward, what his abstinence is saying is, back in 2019, when I championed the uh, women's bills and the uh, Me Too movement, I meant it. But now because it's me, I don't mean it anymore. And I think that it is a disservice to these women who finally were brave enough to come forward. I believe this. If we impeach or he resigns, it does not resolve the power and control underlying issue that he has displayed throughout his public service from when he was in his father's administration to the Clinton administration to his operational uh, barandi as a governor. So what, what needs to be done is I think there has to be more focus on he needs to change how he acts. He needs counseling. He needs to remove himself from this destructive uh, way of life and this disregard for respect for women. Angelo, what is this uh, impeachment investigation going to look like? What can we expect to see from the assembly over the next few weeks? Well, at this point, from the information I've been given since I believe it was Thursday, is that the committee has has decided to keep things um, under wraps, no public announcements until they have everything organized. But what I feel will happen based on all of the allegations And I want everyone to remember that back in February, almost seven times my conference asked for a subpoena 
powered investigation by the health committee and senior committee on the nursing homes, and, and we were denied. Um, I believe that this investigation is going to look at not only the sexual harassment, the methodology of his office of operations, the nursing home cover-up of 15,000 deaths, um, the book. What is What was the deal with the book? Was there any correlation between the misleading on the nursing home deaths and the need to make the book look like he was the savior? Um, so I have a feeling it will be multifaceted, and it will have members of both sides of the aisle so that there will be fair, it will be fair and balanced. Uh, in addition to all of the uh, sexual harassment charges, uh, Angelo, we have uh, the little matter of the budget that's due in about two weeks. Uh, how hampered have you been by having uh, this budget discussion uh, in the midst of what's been happening with the Cuomo allegations? The only thing I can say to that is the silence on the budget has been deafening. Um, there has been very little discussion. Now, this week, Allegedly, we will be going over the one-house budget, but it seems very difficult with the issues with the governor, the issues in conferences regarding what should be done. My understanding, and this just was from uh, information that was garnered, that over the past two weeks, all of the conferences of the Democratic majority centered on what do they do about the governor? Normally, they'd be talking budget, there'd be discussions, we'd have preliminaries. There has been none. Um, so I think through all of this, it becomes evident, very obvious, that Andrew Cuomo cannot govern with all of these distractions. Now, he has said that he can do it. Well, let me tell you, good leaders can multitask on challenges. But when one of those challenges is your legacy and reputation and potentially criminal charges, because now the allegations of t improper touching that have come forward have spurned a Albany police investigation. There's, it's been reported. Now, let me just digress for a minute. The reason it was reported is by the governor's own rules. We are what are considered mandatory reporters. When we find allegations or we become aware of or even observe uh, indiscretions, we are obligated to report them to whichever agency would govern that. And in this instance, his own attorneys reported it to the Albany Police Department because that was mandatory. Um, so at this point, I think it's more of a, he can't, he can't focus. And when you get the uh, um, Andrea Stewart Cousins calling for his resignation and, and or impeachment, and you get Carl Hasty in the Assembly calling for the subpoena powers be given to the Judiciary Committee for an investigation, how do you sit down with these two people and then decide how to negotiate a fair and reasonable budget? Unless you want to throw a little extra to them to back off, and they have too much integrity to fall for that.
And in the meantime, the citizens of New York are victimized by all of these shenanigans. It's just, it's really disheartening, Angelo. Um, I do want to switch gears. We, we don't have a lot of time left, but I do want to switch gears and quickly ask you um, about the impact of the pandemic on businesses in your district. Now, I know that you, prior to going into uh, the assembly, worked as your uh, as an in-house counsel for your family's business. What uh, being in the in the business world yourself prior to going into government, what do you think you can do to help other businesses uh, get through this crisis time? Well, I think I can keep pushing for more broad based uh, vaccination sites, but more importantly, tax credits, tax breaks. There is um, the, the difficulty with all of this is. The federal government has been giving money to New York State, and the governor's just squirreled it away in the general budget. He hasn't even distributed it. But let's go back to the original premise, okay? What they did is they frightened everyone, and they turned us into almost a uh, Hitler-type country and state, whereas people have asked me, what would you have done? My belief is you educate our, our, our citizenry. We have intelligent people explain the the effects of COVID, explain how to be safe, explain how that our lives have to change somewhat. We have to be more vigilant. This overall would have prevented all of the shutdowns. What I found the most amazing was when he was allowing, the governor allowed bars to open till 10. Is it that COVID slept till 9.45 and this didn't come out till after 10 o'clock at night? I mean, some of these draconian rules destroyed business. Businesses know how to handle themselves. The other, the other issue with all of that is your, mar- your large box stores were remain- allowed to remain open. Some of them sold clothing, they sold food, they sold home goods, vetting. Well, if you have a store that you can have a couple thousand people wandering around, how much more safe is that than a small mom-and-pop retailers that might have three or four people walking around? So what we can do is just keep pushing and pushing to eliminate these draconian rules coupled with telling people to use their innate intelligence. They tried to turn this country into sheep following those draconian right rules rather than educating. And I feel that we are getting to the point where businesses are standing up and saying, we know how to protect. We can protect. We will wear masks. I think masks are wonderful. But on the other hand, if you're wearing your mask and following safety rules, why should you be shut down? Why should you be humiliated? Why should the state liquor authority act as a Gestapo threatening everybody? These individuals are employees of the state paid by tax dollars, yet who do they hurt? Those that are supplying the tax dollars. We absolutely need to look at all of the issues. Angela, one final question. I want to go back to that to the budget real quick. What is, you know, the last year we've had, obviously, uh, money is not what money usually is in this state. What can we expect to be cut from the budget, if anything, or is this going to be another budget the state can't pay for? Um, it's going to be another budget the state can't pay for. You never hear about economizing. You never hear about transparency. You never hear about economizing. What do you hear? How do we raise more revenue? It's unbridled spending problem this state has. It's not a revenue problem. 
I, as a legislator, from the time I ran, have been trying to get transparency and accountability in government, but it falls on deaf ears. There's an analysis I've been trying to get on the poverty initiative. The city of Niagara Falls was given, I believe, about $2.2 million. The mayor at that time, not our current mayor, gave it to an agency, and from the last I've been able to garner, they might have helped seven people, seven to eight people, Nobody will challenge where this $2.2 million went that was supposed to help spur job development, the unemployed, and housing issues. There were agencies set up that were productive, county-led, private not-for-profits that could have had this go so far. But it's the same game that is being played throughout, and you are right. It is the taxpayers of New York State that are suffering. Assemblymember Angela Morinello, thank you so much for your time this morning, sir. We appreciate it. No problem. I enjoy it. People need to be educated. Absolutely. It's great of you to always join us as well. And, Joe, we'll switch gears for a moment here, and we'll talk about what's happening in local school districts with parent advocate Tarja Parsonin, who joins us on the line. Good morning, Tarja. Hi. Good morning, Brenda and Joe. Thanks for having me. We appreciate you taking the time as well, and I, we wanted to talk to you about uh, Western New York Students First, the Clarence Students First specifically. You have two children in uh, the Clarence system, and Terry, tell us a bit about what prompted a recent letter to County Executive Mark Polencars about the safety of kids in schools. Well, Western New York Students First and Clarence Students First and all of our subgroups have been working for many, many, many months trying to find out exactly whose responsibility it is to follow the guidance. We have been contacting, of course, our districts and superintendents, um, Erie County Department of Health, State Department of Health, State Department of Education. We've written letters to the CDC, and the level of punting and finger-pointing is off the charts. So, We've been waiting and working and advocating, and we're actually starting to see uh, counties around us start to act on their own. What Mr. Polonkars has been saying and Dr. Burstein has been saying is that the counties do not have the power to open the schools. However, um, we're seeing Onondaga County open full-time with barriers and masks, and now just recently we're seeing Ulster County, too, who just decided it was time for a safe return for full-time in-person school. So counties do have the power, and we're asking Erie County to follow the lead of these officials. Have you gotten any response from County Executive Polencars or Dr. Burstein? No, we haven't. And so what is your next step? I mean, this group that you uh, are a part of, Taria, it's the Western New York Students First, and you describe it as a nonpartisan group of parents, caregivers, teachers, and school district stakeholders across Western New York working toward the common goal. Uh, so what do, what do you folks plan to do since you have not heard anything back from Poland Kaiser Burstein? We are going to continue to advocate. You know, it was frustrating, I think, in Mr. Poland Kaiser's last press conference when he said that the people who want schools open safely are just a few individuals, uh, when in fact I think a nationwide Gallup poll was just released that said, 79% of parents would like a full and safe in-person return. And I know district surveys are coming out that say the same thing. Williamsville School District, 80% of parents feel that it's time to happen. Um, so we are going to continue to pressure. And actually, I heard from the Clarence um, 
district that they said that they are working with government leaders to pressure the state. And so we were very relieved to hear that, that we are not the only ones who are, you know, trying to work with the state. Have you reached out to other superintendents or even the teachers union? I have. I sent uh, a message to the Clarence Teachers Association uh, a few months ago at the very beginning, just letting them know who we are and what we do. I didn't hear back. Um, I have been chatting with Mike Cornell, uh, who is the Hamburg superintendent, and he's also, of course, the leader of the Erie Niagara Superintendents Association. I believe that many school districts want to return, but that they feel that their hands are tied. You know, it's this knot that they feel that they just cannot untie, you know? Um, yeah, so we're trying to help them. And what have you seen yourself with, um, you know, kids not being able to go back to school full time? And uh, do you see grades uh, dropping? Do you see social life, you know, obviously very limited? Um, How has that affected over the last year? That's right. Everything, everything has been affected um, academically, socially, physically. It is really a growing health crisis among children, um, especially for teenagers. Self-harm amongst teenagers is up 99%. Of course, the suicide rate is up. And this is happening in our own community, too. And we would really like the, the county health department to address this growing crisis and also provide transparency. You know, it's very easy to track COVID deaths. Um, but we need to find out exactly what's going on with our children in terms of um, absences, failed grades, obesity, uh, child abuse. I just read about a case in New York City about a child who had been in his apartment, had not had any social interaction for months on end, and he was the subject of child abuse. And, of course, those people on the front line who normally would see and report that, his teachers, weren't able to help him, and he was killed. You know, these things are happening, and they're happening not just in New York City but in our own community. What about uh, changes in social distancing guidelines? Do you find that there's uh, not a significant uh, difference between the three and six feet separation? The good news is that lots of, um, you know, science is coming out surrounding that. For instance, there's a big study, an important study that just came out in Massachusetts, where I believe they studied 220 districts, perhaps more than that. And they were studying the difference between six feet and three feet. And in terms of the number of cases, COVID cases, there's no difference at all. And, you know, the American Academy of Pediatrics, the World Health Organization, um, the Harvard School of Public Health, they're all saying that three feet is okay, especially when it's weighed against the cost to our children. And in fact, I know that the um, New York State chapter of the American Academy of Pediatrics, all 6,000 doctors have signed a letter saying that it's time for full in-person school. And, you know, these are Dr. Burstein's colleagues. It's just interesting to see that um, science is not really being listened to. Tara, I know you have a couple of young children. What have you done to keep them engaged during this year-long pandemic? And, uh, you know, obviously we're still uh, dealing with it. How do you keep the kids engaged both mentally and physically? Uh, It's really, really hard. I have a third grader and a sixth grader. Uh, During the first few months of the lockdown were were really just terrible. Um, You know, kids need structure. My kids need structure. you know, and when parents are forced to become everything to their children, whether it's, you know, the teacher, the sports coach, the friend, the, you know, we, we can't do it all. And, you know, when you see your own children suffer, that really is what leads you into advocacy. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to keep up their friendships, obviously, in safe ways. But, you know, we have our own pod of friends in the neighborhood. And it's really important for my kids, at least, to see their friends, to be involved in sports. 
fortunately, the sports that they're, uh, they participate in are, are continuing. And, you know, I realized that we're privileged enough to be able to do that. And a lot of families don't have those opportunities. Well, keep us posted on your progress with this. Uh, again, it's uh, Western New York Students First and Clarence Students First. Tarya Parson and Parent Advocate, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you for having me. We'll talk next hour with Brian Kalpa, Amherst Supervisor, and we'll also talk about the uh, Cuomo situation with Professor Jacob Nyheisel from the UB School of Political Science. Much more to come right here on Hardline.